This is the last, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, good morning. This is the last week of a series that we have been doing where we're taking a look at each book in the New Testament. We aren't in the book of Revelation, so when I say it's the last, it's just the last for now. We will finish this series in the future, but for now we're going to take a pause. Second Thessalonians is where we're at. We're going to look at chapter 3, verse 13, and then um, we're going to take a pause. Next week is, uh, we'll have a Thanksgiving message, and uh, uh, if you could put that slide up there for thank- Giving Thanks Sunday. Um, next Sunday is a different Sunday. Um, you'll be able to participate in the service a little bit more than usual. Um, we've done this in the past, um, but part of giving thanks out of that Sunday is we'll give you an opportunity to give. Two ways to give, actually. One way is to give an offering of thanks to God, just to reflect on how you have reasons to be thankful and to be grateful and to write it down on a thank you card. Leave it here. We'll just call this the altar because we don't have one. Um, before you take communion, because we'll be sharing communion next week as well. So we, you're all about able to be a part of that, sort of like, I'll make space, I won't talk as long, there'll be plenty of extra time for you to reflect and think about it. So if you like shorter sermons, next week is your week. <clears throat> and then you'll have another opportunity to give as well as, there's, it's a biblical model of a, of a thank offering, which is, that's a good way to give thanks, to give gratitude, to offer our gratitudes to God, but to also to give financially as an expression of our gratitude to God. And so we're, we're passing that on to two organizations that people in our congregation are connected with. Some of you already give to these organizations. Some of you already volunteer in these organizations. Love in Action meets practical and spiritual needs in our community. They're a faith-based organization. And Stable Days Youth Ranch, which many of you know, um, run by Ben and Carol Lesser, do lots of different things, but focus primarily on mentoring with youth and their horse program. So you can, you can designate a gift, a financial gift, to one or the other of those two. It'll be sort of special envelopes, different from your thank you notes, that you can put that gift into. Otherwise, starting this Sunday in the next couple of weeks, you can also give online, and you can just designate one or the other. If you don't designate it, we'll just split it between them both, so if, if you feel like going that way as well. So that'll be the next, next week. So if you want to pray about if there's something that God might have you to give in, those, in that way, if you're here with us. Or if you're not, you can give online. Okay, this morning's message title is, You Need God. Do you really believe that? Do you live like you believe that is really what we're going to talk about this morning. Do we live like we believe that? Second Thessalonians uh, is the second letter written to the same city, same church in uh, Thessalonica, Thessaloniki, depends on where you, how you're pronouncing it, modern Greek or ancient, or ancient Greek. Um, and it was this book that we're talking about, Second Thessalonians. Last week, Pastor Tom preached out of First Thessalonians. This letter was probably sent only a couple of months after the, se- the first one, the one that we're looking at this morning. And the reason that he wrote, similar to the first letter, is that uh, per, uh, some of the believers were experiencing persecution. It was difficult to be a Christian in those early days. You could experience it from multiple different angles. Other people that were religious, if you were a Jewish Christian or just a... a the regular society that was not too friendly to new religions in general. And when you experience difficulty or persecution, it's hard, right? Uh, if you have, if whether you're facing it for religious reasons or any other reasons, maybe you've experienced that in school, maybe you've experienced it on a sports team, maybe you've experienced it in a workplace, maybe it's a, a neighbor relationship that's just, this person really doesn't like you and you don't know why. 
can be frustrating and difficult, can cause anger. For these Christians, probably what they were experiencing was a little bit of hopelessness and despair because it didn't seem like there was going to be an end to it. So that's part of why they wrote it. Another reason why, why Paul, the Apostle Paul, who helped start this church um, in Thessalonica, wrote it. Uh, another reason why Paul wrote the letter is that there had been, uh, many scholars believe that probably there was even a false letter that was written and circulated in Paul's name. And if it wasn't in Paul's name, there for sure was teaching circulating that Jesus was coming back soon and that things that were happening right around us right now showed that Jesus would be back very soon. And that's not what Paul was saying. Um, he certainly wanted Jesus to be back soon. And Christians throughout the ages have believed that Jesus could come at any moment. But he was writing to correct some of that. Now, I'm going to say that that's similar. Throughout every generation, there have been people who said, look at that thing happening. Look at that thing happening. That means this in the Bible. That means that in the Bible. This is for sure going to happen then and this. And there's been predictions Jesus is going to come in the last probably every decade, just about. Someone has said he's going to come back because of this or that. Paul was writing to correct some of that. And he was writing to correct another response. So if you are really believing that Jesus was coming back, What's the point of doing anything, right? He's coming back. And actually what was happening in this church is people were just stopping, like, their lives, like, their lively. They weren't working. They were just like, he's coming back anyways. Life's hard. I'm just going to wait. And the church was grappling with how to deal with this. You know, like, do we, do we support these people? Because they're, you know, and you can imagine it's probably not just people. It's like families as well. Who do we help support? We're not, we don't really think this is true, or we're not sure if it's true. So the church is grappling with, and helping people in need is also can be challenging, how to help, best help people in need. So Paul wrote for all of those reasons. And he was encouraging them to persevere, to keep going, to keep staying faithful to Christ. God's going to be the judge ultimately. And the day of Jesus is going to come one day. We don't know exactly when. But there is hope that Jesus will return and he will set all things right. So that's why he wrote this letter. I'm going to read a passage this morning, kind of the lead up to our first verse to give you a little bit of context. Um, and then I'm, we're going to talk about the specific hard that this these Christians were facing, and then I'm going to broaden it because we probably aren't facing this specific heart in the same ways, but I think the principle that he's encouraging applies to us in the different areas of hard that we're facing. So here's what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians verse 10. He says this, In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For we hear that there are some among you who are idle. There's some twiddling. Jesus is coming back. There's no point. I'm not even going to work anymore. They are not busy, but busy bodies. Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and provide for themselves. And here's our verse this morning. But as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. So you can see the context there. This church was trying to figure out, I think there's multiple contexts that he was probably saying, don't grow weary in doing good. As you figure out this complicated, like, how do we help people see the truth about Jesus? How do we help them figure out what they're supposed to do with their lives, like provide for their family? How do we help people? Like, it could be complicated because maybe families, you know, if mom and dad weren't working, but there's children, do you take care of the kids but not the adults? Like, it's complicated. It's hard. That's their specific hard. 
it can be tiring. And when you're facing hard, no matter what your heart is, by the way, there's a lot to teach about like helping people in need. That's my, it's not my focus this morning. It just happens to be the hard that this church was facing. Um, we could teach about that, and we will on some other time. But here, are, there's two options. Here's my, just walk away with this this morning, okay? Don't forget this. There's two options when you grow weary of doing good. There's just two, op- two ways that you can respond. Maybe there's more, but I think you could put it into two. You can either white-knuckle it, try harder, grit your teeth, dig in, or you can depend on God. Just two. And you could say depend on self or depend on God. I'm using white-knuckle it, and I'll tell you why, because it, it'll connect with an illustration I give you later. White-knuckle it. When you're facing the hard, when, you know when you get, you don't get weary of doing good when you're not facing the hard, right? You feel more generous, you have time on your hands, people ask for help, you're eager to say yes, but when you have stress, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're confused, when you have anxiety, when things are not going well with people that you love or yourselves, it is hard to keep doing the good. And we all have or are facing some of those times in our lives, or we will face them going to make three observations this morning. They all have to do with God's grace. First of all, the first phrase in the verse that we're covering, but as for you, brothers and sisters, we'll pause right there. Just make an observation. He's talking in familial terms, and this is our first observation. Grace brings you into God's family. Grace brings you into God's family. Family terminology is used throughout the New Testament to describe Christians. Brothers and sisters is very common. Family is very common. Those terms are used very common in how they interact and relate to each other and really how God sees them. He sees Christians, people who trust in Christ, as they are now in my family. That's how God thinks. They're not my family now. You guys are now related to each other. When a husband and a wife decide it's time for us to bring a child into the world, the child doesn't get to choose. Right? The child doesn't exist until they decide to try to bring a child in. Obviously, God's involved there. If you've struggled with infertility, you know it's not a guaranteed thing for that to happen. It can be very, very difficult. But when, when parents decide they want to bring a child in the world and God gives them the gift of life, that child just gets to respond to their love. Doesn't get to choose. When you adopt a child, some of you maybe have gone through this. I have friends that have. In a different way, that child also doesn't exactly have a choice. Probably there's some input and conversation that goes there, but what that child receives is they just get to receive love or not, I suppose, depending on how they respond. But that child doesn't earn, just, just like when, when, a, when a child is born biologically, that child doesn't earn life. When a child's adopted, they didn't earn a family. It was just something that was given as an act of love. And that's how it is with us and God. We didn't do anything to earn it. We can't do anything to earn it. God chooses. We can respond or not. That's the only thing we get to do. We can respond to God's desire to adopt us into the family. He actually does give us a choice to say, no thanks, I'm good. I don't need you. I don't need your family. I don't need your love. I don't need your grace. I'll I'll figure it out on my own. Or we can respond to him. And the way that we get into the, God's family is through Christ. Christ has done everything right. 
When he lived his life on earth, he came to earth to live a perfectly right life. If there's things that you regret, if you things that you would rewind, do over like I have in my life, Jesus never had a single second that he would have rewound and done over. He lived a perfect life. And, and the way that we get into God's family is, is, is Jesus is saying, here, you can take my life performance for free in exchange for your life performance, or you can keep your own. Which one do you want? And the Bible says that none of us have been righteous. Not even one of us has met God's standard. We can't meet God's standard. All we get to do is say yes to God and no to our sin, current and past and future selfishness and give ourselves to Jesus. Guys, that's grace. That's a gift that we can receive. Grace is how we get into God's family. We don't work our way in. We don't persevere our way in. We don't white-knuckle our way in. We receive our way in. That's where we start. We're invited to become members of his family. Secondly, 2 Thessalonians 3.13, the next phrase says this. But as for you, brothers and sisters, once you're in the family, you've, you've, you've gotten the offer from God. He says, I'd love to adopt you into my own family. And you said yes, then you become a part of his family. Do not grow weary. And we'll just pause on that phrase. Do not grow weary. Here's a second observation. Grace invites you, gets you into God's family. Here's what grace also does. Secondly, grace sustains and empowers you in that life. It's not a one-time thing. It's not like grace only applies so that you get in. Grace continues to strengthen and empower you to live that life in Christ that you're invited into. We grow weary of doing good, I think, when we forget or we stop believing that we need God. We didn't just need him, God, to save us. We continue to need him in our everyday lives. And the amount that we need him is not lessened at all. So I'm kind of giving a balance. Last week, um, Pastor Tom spoke on 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. And this is one of the things I love about Christianity is that there's so many things in this faith, in this worldview, it is not black. It's not a... It's, I, now, some of you are going to argue with me after church. That's fine. Send me emails. We'll talk about it. Christianity is not entirely a black and white worldview. And here's what I mean by that. There's a lot of tension that Christianity brings you into. And to live it is to live in the tension, not to pick this or that. There's places to pick this or that. Don't be clear. There is black and white in Christianity. But last week, Pastor, we, we talked about... 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, which you're probably like, if you want to memorize verses, you get three down, and they're like seven words or something like that. Rejoice always, that's two. Pray without ceasing, that's three. And everything give thanks, that's four or five. Maybe it's nine words. But what we were challenged with last week, which is very appropriate, it's what the Bible teaches, it's what the Christianity teaches, is that it will take some discipline and effort to do that. That's not natural to us to live a life that's always rejoicing, always giving thanks, and always praying, takes effort to do that. Now, here's the counterbalance. In order to do that, we have to depend on God for the strength and the power to do it. Okay? So it's like, we have to work, and we have to lean on God 
so that we can work. It's not one or the other. It's not like it's all on God or it's all on me. Actually, it's tension. Okay, that's what I mean by black and white. Some people would say it's all on God. Some people would say it's all on you. I think there's tension there. And here's why. 2 Thessalonians 1, the very beginning of this letter, here's how Paul starts it out. Verse 3, he says, the Lord is faithful. Amen, he is. He will strengthen you. Where do you get your strength? From God. And guard you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord, here, I love this. May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. We get our endurance, we get our strength from Christ. It's not from me. It's not from you. It's from him. Now let me read you a few more verses that emphasize that. Colossians 1.29. Paul again is writing to another group of Christians, a very similar message. He says, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Do you see the tension there? I'm striving with his strength. It's both. 2 Corinthians 12.9, we covered that verse earlier in this series, says this, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in your weakness. When you are weak, you can be strong in God. And actually, that's the only time you can be. If you're weak in yourself, you can be strong in God. Colossians 2.6, this is probably one of my favorite verses on this subject of grace and dependence on God, says this, so then... Just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him. How did you receive him? By grace, through faith. How do you continue in him? By grace, through faith. It's not your own power that you continue in him. So for you bootstrappers, I'm sorry, you've got to throw them things away. I've had to throw mine away. I'm going to use white knuckling it as the illustration for this. Um, I often get asked for book recommendations. Sometimes it's for home groups. Sometimes people are just looking for a good book to read. And this year, my number one recommendation has been this book called Try Softer. I'm on my third or fourth time through it in this calendar year because I need the truth that it's telling because I'm a bootstrapper. I'm a white knuckler. I'm preaching to myself this morning. And here's the subtitle of the book. You can't read it, so I put it in bigger. A fresh approach to move us out of anxiety, stress, and survival mode into a life of connection and joy. Would anyone like a life of connection and joy? I think you might. <clears throat> this is written by a, a Christian counselor, um, loves Jesus. But her premise in this book is, what if God isn't looking for us to live by trying harder but instead to try softer. So it's not, it's not not trying. Do you get that? Try, not harder, grit your teeth harder, softer, like in the rhythm of God's grace. What if, what, if, what if we decided to live life in a way that our lives are thoroughly immersed in marinating in the grace of God and that that's what lead us, leads us as we try, as we strive in the grace of God to a life of connection and joy. Um, a couple years ago, get my prop out here. A couple years ago, uh, I've had an annual tradition, a regular tradition. I don't think it's been every year, but we've gone to our friends, the Dormans, for the Super Bowl. 
And a number of years ago, we were kind of like, should we get together? Sometimes other friends come. I think maybe the Arnsons were there this year too. Should we get together or not? It was snowing. It looks like it's going to keep snowing. We're like, let's just do it. We're hardy North Dakotans. We'll get through. We'll get through it. <clears throat> you might remember this year. Because we got, it wasn't just a little bit. It kept snowing and snowing. I think maybe the kids played outside in the snow. End of the game came. It was dark. And it's time to go home. And we're like, this doesn't look too good. Maybe we, I even thought, maybe we should be like staying the night over here. Our kids would love that. They're with friends. Ah, oh, we'll try it. We'll go home. <clears throat> my steering wheel. So you know what it's like when you're driving, you know, and usually you're driving 55, but it's like conditions are like 40s really pushing it. And you, most of the time you got to go slower. So you can't see my knuckles, but your knuckles are white. You're gripping that thing hard by this thing. Makes noise. Little NASCAR thing. Turn to the right. Turn to the left, but turn it off. It's going to be distracting. So I'm driving, and I, re the, the, I don't remember much. I just remember it was really nerve-wracking, and I also know it was probably more nerve-wracking for my wife than it was for me. <laughs> and uh, we get, right before our house, we have a little dip. There's a, there's a bridge over a little creek, and then we go up, and there's another house right across the street from us, another acreage, and it always drifts in right there in that low spot. Can't really see. It's dark. Remember, we're going, and I go into the drift, and we hit the drift, and the top of the drift is at the top of my hood. Boom! Just like driving through a wave. Just hold it straight, don't turn, keep going, hope we get there. Now we're just, you know, 100 feet from our house, so we could probably plow through. We got through. We got over there. This isn't one of my stuck stories. I have other stories for that. We got through. And uh, right now, I'm gripping the steering wheel, and uh, I'm, my armpit's getting sore. I got pain in here. And actually, I've had pain in here for most of the last week. And that's because I've been, I think, struggling with white-knuckling it through my life. I don't, I'm, not holding a, I'm not holding a steering wheel the whole time, but I'm, unconsciously, I'm clenching my fists, holding on to something. Uh, we can go through life... <clears throat> When things get hard, we can squeeze tighter and try harder. And sometimes it helps us a little bit for a little while, but inevitably, inevitably we, we crash. Maybe not like, you know, in your car you're cra literally crashing. But if you're going to just choose that when things get hard in life, I'm just going to try harder, pull harder, persevere, dig in, now, there's a place for all that. Believe me, I'm not saying there's not a place for any of that. If you can do that every time you face weariness of doing good, I would say just sign yourself up for getting overwhelmed. Sign yourself up for burning out. Sign yourself up for breaking down, for completely losing it, or maybe even deconstructing your faith. Because trying harder is not Jesus' way. It's not. There are two options when you feel weary of doing good. And it's a great time when you feel weary. I'm tired. I really don't want to do this. It's a great time to think, how am I going through life? Do I really believe that I need God or am I white-knuckling it? You can white-knuckle it or you can depend on God. So here's the other option. I got, I got another thing. So this is my steering wheel. 
white knuckle it. Um, actually, let me show you a little cute little video here a minute. You got that video? I got some baby chicks. This is a couple of years ago. So this is my baby chick prop. I didn't have. I don't have a live one. Do we have it? Okay. So here we go. This is Coraline. A couple of years ago. He's a little afraid of getting pecked by them. Tried to touch one. Oh, oh. She got pecked. Okay. What if I hold this chick like I do my steering wheel? It's a good thing this isn't a real one. It's a good thing this isn't a real one. I'm just going to say this. I think that God would like us to treat our souls more like this as we go through life. I don't think he wants us to grip this hard. I don't think he grips this hard on us. Uh, one of the teens this week shared a verse. I had already been planning on sharing it. It shared a verse that was really profound at teen ministry. They sometimes take turns uh, sharing verses um, out of the Bible and uh, what it means to them. And uh, this week, one of the teens shared Matthew 11, 28 through 30. This is, this is the ultimate picture of how Jesus cares for us and our souls. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me. All you who are weary, do not grow weary of doing good. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Holding a baby chick, which you have to be careful with them. Uh, it, it just has to be tender. It has to be careful. It has to be soft. It can't be harder. Even if you want to not jump out of your hands, you kind of have to carefully put your hands around them with a lot of extra space so that they can wiggle without you constricting this little life. I think our souls are a lot more like this. Two options. You can, when you feel weary of doing good, you can white-knuckle it or you can depend on God. Here's the third phrase. But as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good in doing good. Here's the last part. God's grace not only will bring you into his family, not only will it sustain and empower you, but his grace will actually direct you in a life of good. Now, I hope that this point will really free some of you up. I'm going to skip some of what I was going to say because I want to make sure I get to my main point. There's a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about being weary and not giving up, and I'm not going to share any more of those. I've shared a couple already, so we'll just skip down a little bit. Um, God will direct you and I into doing that life of good. It, here's some signs that you might be white-knuckling it. 
you, you might be white-knuckling it if you frequently or constantly feel overwhelmed. You might be white-knuckling it if you are constantly or frequently anxious. You might be white-knuckling it if you are constantly or frequently angry. You might be white-knuckling it if you're constantly or frequently depressed. You might be white-knuckling it if you're constantly or frequently hypervigilant. We could make the list longer. We'll stop there. Success, is a, this is a quote by Pete Scazzaro, and I'm going to use this to help, I think, us to see how God's grace can lead us into the life of good he wants us to lead in. And I love this description of success. I want to, ha- I want to be successful. I want to flourish in life. Success, Pete Scazzaro says, an author I've appreciated, is doing what God has asked us to do in his way, and in his timing. Really like that. Doing what God has asked us to do in his way and in his timing. When, when Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians, said, what I've told you guys is uh, if someone's not going to work, they don't eat. You know what he's basically saying? He's saying, it is not your good to do to keep supporting those in your church who have decided because they think Jesus is coming back to stop working to keep feeding them. Let them do it themselves or suffer the consequences and figure it out. It's not your good to do that. That's what he's saying. That's what God's grace would yield. And actually, that's you being gracious. I think Paul would say that's you actually showing God's grace to this person. Hard but loving way. That would be really helpful. Here's an application for us in life, okay? What if you just ask God this? When you have good that you're facing, maybe you're feeling tired of it, just ask, is this good for me to do? Is it mine? Are you asking me to do it? That's the first part, doing what God has asked me to do. Is he really asking me to do it? Just check in with God. Is this mine? Are you really asking me to do this? Or is this just a good opportunity? Sometimes God has good opportunities that you're supposed to let go by. And if you don't let them go by, they won't get to the person maybe that they're really intended for, for them to have the opportunity to fill or serve that need. I think sometimes we think every good thing that comes our way, we have to say yes to. Not true. I'm not saying we shouldn't have a heart that wants to say yes to it all. I think that's really good. But asking him, God, is this yours for me? Is that for me? That's the first thing I think. God's grace wants to direct us in his good. Secondly, ask God, is this how you want me to do it? Maybe, maybe it's an opportunity to serve somewhere in the church in some specific area, but is, is that really what, how you want me to do it? Maybe what you're really stirring is that I, have you, I want you to have a heart to serve with kids, but this opportunity isn't the one for you, but I want you to seek me so that I can show you the one for you, how I want you to do it. And then is this the right timing? Maybe this is all right, but right now in your life is not the time for you to say yes to that good. I think sometimes we get ourselves overwhelmed because we've misapplied this verse. We've just thought, don't grow weary of doing good means say yes to all the good things that come my way. And I'm not saying don't have a heart for that. I think God's grace would lead us to say, why don't you seek God about if it's what I want you to do, if it's how I want you to do it, if it's when I want you to do it. That might actually free us up to actually enjoy what God has called us to do. We're going to sing a song to close. So actually, I'm going to share this one last verse. Here's Ephesians 2.10. You guys probably have heard Ephesians 2.8 and 9, which says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. 
It's a gift from God, not by works, that no one can boast. So that's how we become a Christian. We say, by, by God's grace, I put my faith in what Jesus has done, and I receive it into my life, and I'm now in God's family. Here's the next verse, which we've probably also, many of you have heard before too. It says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared ahead of time, or in advance, for us to do. In other words, God's grace saves you, and God's grace directs and has prepared a whole life of good for you. And if you'll depend on God for your salvation, depend on him as well to direct you into that life of good works. It's not every single good option that's out there for every one of us. I mentioned uh, before this service that uh, sometimes when I prepare for a sermon, it's not every single time, but sometimes in a unique and specific way, God puts his finger in my life and says, I'm going to teach you that this week. And that happened for me this week. Um, we faced, I faced uh, hard in my life that I wasn't expecting. Um, and I, I was thinking about the sermon. I went to the choice workout, kind of had a little mini breakdown. Let me tell you about it. It worked out. It was nice. I had a fun conversation with someone in the class, which was kind of cool. And I was... I. I I like to go sit in the steam room because I'm like one of those, going to be one of those old guys who always goes in there because <laughs> my dad did, so it's just what I like to do. So I'm going to take a shower, sitting in the steam room, and I, was, and I was imagining you all here right now. Like, this is what I was thinking. I was thinking the end of my sermon, and I was thinking about asking, who needs God and asking to raise your hand? And I had this image, and then it just hit me. I need God. I need God. Thankfully, the only other guy in there walked out, and I tried to weep quietly because I was afraid of someone else coming in. And I was like, okay, God, I do need you. I need you. And I need to tell you right now that I need you. Then got out, went to the shower, round two, <clears throat> 15 minutes, a little bit easier to cry in the shower. I know that I need God, but I don't always live like I do. Someone here is in that camp. Some ones here are in that camp. I'm convinced that's why God wants me to preach this this morning. We're going to close with a song called The Stand. And there's going to be a line in that song that says, that it's going to talk about, I'm going to, all I can do is raise my hand. It's a song of surrender. And so I'm going to invite you not just to say it in your heart, not just to say it in your mind. I'm going to invite you to say with your body, by doing this, or maybe this, I know that's uncomfortable for some of us, many of us, and it, it, I'm not saying you should all do it. I'm just saying, if God is saying, pricking your heart this morning to say, you need to tell me again that you need me because you have said it, but you haven't lived it. I just challenge you, this could be really a something that God can move in your life and help you to draw closer to him to say, I need you today. I need you. Okay, so band, come on up. We're going to close with a prayer that many of you have heard. It's a written prayer. I don't do this very often. It's a written prayer. You've probably known it as the serenity prayer. It's very applicable to this message this morning. So why don't you stand and I will pray it over us and then we'll sing this song. Pray with me. God, and you can personalize it like you're saying this this morning. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can. And the wisdom 
to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying 